you will, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. Let me remind you of something that we're doing all through the month of October. And it's very important that our church family be involved in this. And of course, it's the deacon nominations. Uh, these are men who serve our church uh, faithfully and they serve on three-year terms. And uh, that's coming up through the month of October. It gives you an opportunity to nominate someone that you think uh, would be a, a good candidate as a deacon. And uh, inside your passport is a nomination form. And uh, you need to sign that and have the person that you're nominating sign it also. And then turn it in to the offering plate or the black box back there on the wall. Uh, it's very important we do this. Uh, this is a, it's important to have good leadership in a church family. And uh, that's part of that. Ephesians chapter 3. Now, as it relates to our prayers, I believe if we were completely honest we would come to the conclusion that our prayers many times do not sound like the prayers of those in Scripture. How many of you have ever done a study just on the prayers in Scripture? I think many times we, we, our prayers probably don't sound like those. Uh, think about one thing that Jesus prayed. Jesus, in, in his moment of anguish, he's there in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Think about what he prayed. He said, not my will, but your will. Look at this prayer here on the screen. This is Paul's prayer in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to look at what it says. You've, you've heard it over and over again. I want you to see something this morning. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of, of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above all measure. And so what's happening here is that Paul is basically saying that I've been given tremendous responsibility. God, for some reason, chose me to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of bringing people into this kingdom. He's given me many revelations, and there's times I'm, I'm really kind of overwhelmed by all this, but I'm here to tell you that there's something in my life that God has allowed to be there. And by the way, he says it comes at him even by ways of the enemy, the enemy is allowed to bring this into my life. And he's saying, I understand why it's there, okay? But he goes on and says this, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times, another way of saying this, I prayed to the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast of my infirmities. This is Paul's conclusion after what Jesus said. I will boast of my infirmities. So the thing that I don't want in my life, I'll boast in it, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. How many of you would say that's a pretty strong word when something you don't want in your life's there? He says, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses. Why does he do that? For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What he's saying, he says, when I've depleted myself of me, when I get to the end of me, that's when I see the reality of Christ working in my life. That's when I start to see some things that I never would have otherwise seen. And Paul is telling us that. Now, let me ask you a question. It's interesting, and, and this makes me feel better. How many of you prayed that things be taken out of your life before? Now, I'm not talking about your spouse or children or anything. I'm talking about... Just those things in your life that you just, Lord, I just don't understand why it's here. I want, how many of you are comforted that at least Paul did pray three times in that vein? But then what did he eventually do? He came to the awareness of what Christ was trying to do, why that thing was there in the first place. 
You see, so many times we pray not only three times, but four times and five times. We pray for years, and the only thing that we're focused on is we want this gone. When God says, no, it really needs to be here. It really needs to stay. It needs to remain because there's a purpose behind it. But so many times we just continue on. But Paul, you know what he did? He came to terms with what God was doing in his life. And he saw it as, he listen, he literally saw that thing as a necessity in his life. It had to be there. Wow, when you think about that, that's amazing, isn't it? Now, does this sound like one of your most recent prayers, what Paul prayed? One of the best ways to learn how to pray is to study the prayers of the Bible. And the thing that you'll notice about the prayers in the Bible are not only content, but you see the intensity of prayers. Now, content is obvious. I mean, all of us know about the content of prayers. It's, it's the asking. It's what we're saying. But the concept of intensity may be new to some of us. Many of us find ourselves easily distracted when we attempt to pray. How many of you find that to be true? We get distracted, don't we? It's not just the external things that are happening that distract us. Many times our own mind distracts us. And there literally is a whole idea of discipline. But, but the way that the people in the, in the scriptures, you see, the reason I believe that they were able to get past the distractions is that they noted that their prayer, there had to be an intensity that came with their prayer. And that's the problem with most of us. We don't have that intensity. Many of us find ourselves easily distracted. Someone has rightly said this. If the truth were told often, we are playing around at our prayers instead of approaching prayer with a holy intensity. When Jesus prayed, listen, when he prayed, many times we read this, that he cried out. He cried out. It speaks of intensity. He cried out with a single-minded focus that seems, seemed to shut out the world around him. Paul seems to be doing the same thing here in the passage we're going to be looking at today. It's like he's crowding out everything that's out there when it comes to the world. He's, there's a single-minded focus that he has. And by the way, you know what he's doing? He's praying for the church at Ephesus, which is the word of God, which tells us this. He was praying for us. What he's praying for today in the prayer that we're about to study is a prayer that he had for us. And it all was about single-minded minded, uh, uh, minded uh, focus of what was going on in our lives. So today I've entitled the message, A Paramount Prayer. Now, what was the content and passion of Paul's prayer? Well, look at the introduction on your outline. Paul concludes the theological chapters of Ephesians 1 through 3. Now, we, we've studied that. Chapters 1 through 3 are more theological. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are more practical, okay? And so he's concluding this section with a prayer for us who are in Christ that we would fully understand who we are in Christ, that we would understand that we would come to grips with who we are in him. Now, from Paul's passion seen through this prayer, he seemed to be convinced that most people don't have a clue about who they are in Christ. And that includes the people who are in Christ. They don't have a clue about what all that means for them and what it means in their relationship with God. So the first thing I want you to see there on your outline is the harmonious reasons for Paul's prayer. The harmonious reasons for Paul's prayer. Look at chapter three, look at verse 14. He says, for this reason, those three words are very important. The reason for that is because they carry us back to what Paul's already discussed. You go all the way back to chapter uh, one and, and Paul seems to be uh, basically telling us that, that we have a whole new identity when we're in Christ. 
And you remember several weeks ago, actually it's been over a month ago, those possible identities as relating to God. This is not on your outline, but do you remember this? The shame-based identity? How some people see themselves before God and it's all just shame. There's a shame-based, I am hopeless and cannot be accepted by God. There's a second one we discussed, the performance-based identity. I must do certain things for God to approve of me and to keep approving of me. And then thirdly, here's the identity we need to all have. This is what it means to be in Christ. It's a Christ-based identity. If I have a Christ-based identity, there is nothing I've done in the past that could keep God from accepting me for I am in him. And there is nothing I can do on my own to get, to, to get God to approve of me for I am in him. It's all about the terminology of being in Christ. That's the, that's the identity we need to have. So so look on your outline. What Paul is doing, he's carrying us all the way back when he says, for for this reason, he's carrying us all the way back to chapter one. Look on your outline. In Christ, we are all included in God's blessings. We're all included. And there's certain things that come with having a Christ-based identity. There's certain things that come with being in Christ. And these were the things that we discussed. This is not on your outline. We have a destiny by the Father through the Son. We have uh, been accepted by the Father through the Son. We have been forgiven by the Father through the Son. We are given wisdom by the Father through the Son, and we have an inheritance from the Father through the Son. All that, that's a Christ-based identity. If we realize that, that's who we are in Christ. All those spiritual blessings come to us. All those spiritual realities are part of who we are. Secondly, in Christ, we are all included in God's grace. Now, he, he clearly tells us this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Clearly, he tells us this. We, we are in Christ. We're included in God's grace. How many of you are glad that when you stand before God, you're not going to have to stand on your own record? Aren't you glad for that? That's the whole idea of grace. That's what it's all about. In him, we have grace that's been extended to us. Thirdly, in Christ, we are included in God's family. We saw that in chapter 2, verses 11, all the way to chapter 3, verse 13. And the conclusion of this, look at chapter 2, look at verse 17. And he came, that's Jesus, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off to those who were near. And basically that's the terminology of the temple. You remember the diagram of the temple? Who was far off? Most of us in this room in the old covenant would have been classified as being far off because we were Gentiles. Okay, but he's bringing us near. For through him, through Christ, verse 18, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you know, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so thirdly, this whole, whole idea of what Paul, when he says, for this reason, he's talking about the fact that we're all included in what God has. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, how many of you find it very comforting that not only are we named with those here, here on earth, we're named with those who are already in heaven? I mean, think about that, the people who've gone before us. You got, you got people there already that are there? We're all included in this. It's, it's, here's what's interesting. It's almost like Paul carries the conversation never step further. He says we're no longer Jew or Gentile. We're no longer male or female. We're, we're no longer these things. We're not even really separated from the fact that some of us are here on earth and some are in heaven. 
We're all in the same. We're in Christ. It's a whole theme of what he's trying to tell us. There's a connection between father and family. You see those in verses 14 and 15. There's also a connection, as I said, between those on earth and those who are in heaven who make up this family. We are family members who through prayer can approach our compassionate, caring father. Paul chose to approach, look how he did this in verse 14. How did he approach? On bended knee, he bowed. What is that? That's a position. It's a picture of submission and dependency. That, that's, that's him. He, he, he says on bended knee. Now, listen, that's not the only way you, you have to pray. Do you know there were other postures in Scripture in which people prayed? Did you know there were some people prayed with their arms out and their face to the ground? Did you know there were people who prayed in Scripture standing there with their hands uh, open, uh, standing there praying to God? There are several positions, but Paul, for some reason, chose in this particular way to be on bended knee. It's a picture of submission and dependency. It's not a picture of someone bringing a list of demands, but humble request in which he was really praying more for others than himself. You know, it's interesting how we, we, we conduct ourselves before God in prayer sometimes. And, and I've been guilty of this in the past, and I'm, I'm, at times I think I am. How many of you find that sometimes your prayer life is nothing more than giving God your demands? Have you ever been there? God, it'd be good if we could take care of this today. And God, next week, if we could have this pretty much summed up, I'm kind of sick of dealing with this one in my life. And God, you know, this person over here, I'd just soon either move me or just move them on. I mean, it's amazing what we do and how we approach these things and how me-centered it becomes and, and how, and, and, and sometimes, how, God, could you allow this to happen to me, me, me? And, and it goes on and on and on, and, and that's not worth what we're finding here in these prayers in Scripture. Next, the heavenly request, request of Paul's prayer. You see, we often pray for the outer man and the physical, now, when I say the outer man, I'm, I'm using his terminology here, the outer being of who we are and, and the physical. We tend to focus on those things. How many of you notice that? What we can get, what we think we need, uh, what, what would make us more comfortable. <laughs> That's that language. And look at, verse, uh, look at verse 13. He says this of chapter 3. You remember Paul said this? We looked at this last week. Therefore, I ask you, ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is for your glory, which is your glory. He's basically saying the phrase here, do not lose heart. He, say, he says, it could be translated, don't be discouraged. Don't, don't give up. This is extremely relevant because so many things, how many of you agree there are things out there that just sap our, our strength, our physical strength, our spiritual strength? I mean, I mean, think of some of these things. Discouraging circumstances, disappointment in others, physical weakness, personal failure, unwarranted, unwanted interruptions, unfinished responsibilities, unresolved conflicts. All these things start piling up all around us. And you know what they tend to do? At least they do it to me. They tend to make me, more, me, me be more me-centered. God, how could you let... And it's amazing. How many of you have noticed... I mean, just look at the news. Look at that we live in a nation of people that take pride in being a victim. Have you noticed that? Everybody's out there taking pride in the fact that they're victims. 
Listen, when we, when we understand the true terminology of what it means to be in Christ and what Paul is praying for here in this prayer and what he's getting ready to get to, he's not praying for people who are victims that they would remain victims. He's praying for people that they would be overcomers, that they would be people who would be above their circumstances. They would be people who would not lose heart, that they would be above all that, not take pride in the fact that they're under it all. And it's amazing the terminology that we're hearing out there in our society. Listen, any one of these things, however, that I just mentioned, they can knock us out of commission. They can flatten us. But these things can also serve us well. And that's what Paul was doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He, he said, I pray to, I'm just, it's almost like he, if he were sitting here talking to us, here's what he would probably say. I'm just going to tell you, I prayed, I'm just going to be honest with you, I prayed three times that God would just take this thing out of my life. How many of you are amazed that, that it's not listed what that thing was. How many of you find that pretty interesting? You know why I think that's in there? It's for all of us. We can insert anything in there. And he basically saying, I'm just gonna be honest with you, I prayed three times God would just take it out of my life. But you know something? God gave me a word. He said that my grace is sufficient. He said that it will be okay, that I'm gonna leave this in your life because it's necessary. And it's so necessary because there's, there's something that could enter into your life if it weren't there. If in his case, he said it, would, it possibly could have been pride. Okay, If this is not here, then pride could enter in, and you know that leads to your destruction. So I'm going to leave this in here because you're living in a fallen world. You have a fallen mindset on things many times. Your perspective many times is not right. So to get it right, to put it where it needs to be, I'm going to, it's necessary I leave this in there. Now, let me ask you a simple question. How many of you know that one thing in your life that you think that is necessary to be in your life that you're praying, please, God, take it away. Please, God, take it away. After three times, what did Paul finally come to the conclusion about? Listen, he came to the same conclusion that God had about his situation. That's the problem with many of us. And many times in our prayer life, we struggle and we come against and, we, and, and, we, and we, we've been praying the same prayer for 5, 10, 15 years and it's not gone anywhere. And guess what? We remain under it. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 basically said, three times I prayed the prayer. I was under it. I'm just gonna be honest. I didn't like it being there. But when he told me why, when I sensed what was going on, when I, when I quit focusing so much on where I wanted to be delivered from and started focusing on what Christ wanted for me, some, it, it's, it's just amazing what happened. I, I'm above it now, and I see it for what it is. Where are you this morning? See, many times our prayers reveal that we want to keep our life uninterrupted and keep our life very comfortable. Now, let me just tell you this. I'm going to make an honest confession. I like an uninterrupted life. I've grown quite accustomed to a comfortable life. But you know something? You know what I found out? It doesn't last long. And there's always another one coming. How many of you have ever thought in your mind, if I could just get to this point in my life? <laughs> How many of you have been living long enough to know when you get to that point in your life, it, you may get past something, but there's new challenges that come with that, that new place. And it, it's always going to be there. I hate to disappoint you, but it's only going to be in heaven when these things are resolved. You do to realize that, right? That's the only place. So here's what happens. Look on your outline. 
We start praying prayers that deal with the outer man. We start dealing with prayers that deal with the physical. So we have this pain avoidance prayer. How many of you have had a pain avoidance prayer recently? And basically it's this, Lord, this hurts. <laughs> Make it stop. How many of you have been there? Yeah, maybe this morning. Here's another one, change the circumstances. Lord, I don't like this. Change it, please, now. Been praying this one for years, huh? Paul's conclusion concerning his struggle. Listen, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. When he says the power of Christ, he's not, talking, he's not just talking about the, the whole idea of being empowered. He's talking about the whole idea of the reality of Christ in his life. The problem with most Christians today is they don't have the sense of the reality of Christ working in their life. They're out there and they're just kind of coasting through life. They're just trying to make their way and all of a sudden, there's no reality. There's no presence of God in their life. Listen, Paul came to the conclusion that with this thing in his life, he always sensed the reality of God in his life. Why? Because he was dependent upon him to get him through what he was dealing with. The problem with a lot of us is we don't, we don't have a dependency in Christ because we don't have this thing in our life that holds us there. Now, let's, let's keep looking. We often pray for the outer man and the physical, but here's where we need to be. Paul often prayed for the inner man and the spiritual. Look at verse 16. Look at what he says. He says, that he, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the outer man, in your comforts, in your uninterrupted life. What does he say? He says, in the inner man. There's a deeper work that God wants to do in and through your life. And Paul, that's what his prayer is. Paul is saying, hey, God, wake up, guys. God wants to do a work in your life. It's not going to be about your comforts. It's not going to be about all these things going your way. It's about something greater that he wants to do. And so basically, here's what that looks like. Look on your outline. The plan accepted. The plan accepted. Lord, this hurts. Give me strength. Give me strength. Could it be like what? Give me your grace. I mean, it could be a, a you're praying, that's when you're praying right sometimes. Here's another one change of character. Instead of change of circumstances, why not change of character? Lord, I don't like this. Instead of change that, how about change me? Change me. Isn't it amazing that, listen, the terminology that I think you'll find with God working with the Spirit, and the reason we know this, you remember the prayer that Jesus prayed when he prayed for us? He talked about the, the, the helper who was coming, and when he got there, what was he going to do? He was going to direct you. He was going to guide you. He was going to convict you. He's going to lead you in the way that you need to be, basically, is the terminology. It's not language about taking you out of things. It's language of seeing you through. It's language of changing you. That's what conviction is all about, is changing you. It doesn't necessarily reflect the changes of the circumstances. It's changing us. Here, here it is. No one likes pain and no one enjoys difficult circumstances. It's natural to pray that our pain would stop, that, is our, that our circumstances would improve. The problem is these, those two categories can overwhelm our prayers so that we never pray for anything else. You know what I'm talking about? We never, we never start praying about the things that God cares about. We're always praying about the things that come up short. 
Note that Paul never mentions anything remotely related to either category in this prayer. By the way, do you know where Paul was when he wrote the book of Ephesians? He was in prison. Things were not going great. And here's what's interesting about this prayer. His request is not, listen, you don't read this in the whole book. Pray that I get out of here. You, you, don't, you don't read that in this book. Pray that I get out of here. Here's what his prayer is. You find it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. Pray that I will be bold for Christ even though I'm in chains. There was a greater calling on his life than those chains. There was a greater calling on his life than the circumstances that he found himself in. Something greater than that. There's a higher calling on our lives other than our personal comforts. Paul also wrote this familiar verse. How many of you know this one? And we know that all things work together for good. How many of you at times when, when you're going through something difficult, somebody will sling that one out on you and you just want to pop them upside the head? <laughs> I'm serious. You're out there pouring your heart out and you're like, oh man. And you, 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 How many of you know sometimes you, pity parties, sometimes they're helpful, but you got to get past them, you know? I think I've met people before who've been ahead of pity party for the last 10 years. And, and, and it's okay. And I think there's times where there. I think Paul did three times he prayed that this thing be removed, but then he got over it. He started realizing what God was up to. And, and so here's what he says. And we know that all things work together for good to those, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know what his purpose is? Called according to a higher purpose. Something beyond the outer man. Something beyond the physical. Something beyond our personal comforts. There's a higher calling there. There are two prayers here in the first three chapters of Ephesians. The first is Paul praying that we would understand who we are in Christ as it relates to spiritual blessings. The second prayer is Paul praying that we would understand the, the, the things beyond our circumstances, that God is working on our inner being and that's why he cares about most is that. Next, we see the hopeful results of Paul's prayer. Now, what were his hopeful results? What, that we would look past our comforts and circumstances and see what God is attempting to do with our inner man. That being in Christ is enough for this life. You see, the rest of the passage reveals the results that come to us as we are strengthened by the Spirit who works on the inside. He starts to tell us, okay, if you get the mindset that, that, that you have in your prayer life or that you have as you look at your life that you constantly want to be delivered from, from certain circumstances, that the pain's so great that you don't, and I'm not making light of that. Some of you are dealing with serious stuff. I understand that. But here's what you got to understand. He, he's saying there's, there's, there can be other things that can come into your life if you are approach it the way God wants you to approach it. If you see it from his perspective, and here's some of those things. Number one, a greater reality. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would like a greater reality or a greater awareness of God in your life? Hopefully, all of us would want that. Did you know that sometimes that comes at a price? Did, did you know that it comes sometimes through a painful means? You know why? Have you ever often wondered why it has to be that way? Why can't it be that we just walk in in the love and the presence of God all the time? Why? 
here's the we live in a fallen world. We're fallen people. We're fighting for our life against our flesh many times, against the world, against the enemy. And we get caught up in all that. And then all of a sudden, God says, okay, I'm going to bring this in your life. You need to refocus. Focus. And how does he refocus us many times? Many times he allows the enemy to bring something in there. That's what he did in Paul's life. I don't want you, Paul, I don't want you focusing on all your accomplishments. I don't want you focusing on how great you are. You're a good communicator. You obviously write good letters and you're doing a great job expanding the kingdom of God. But, but I'm here to tell you, if we don't let this stay here, this whole thing could turn around on you. These are hard things to deal with, isn't it? Look at verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. A greater reality. You see, the greater question or the greater reality is not how much of the Lord do I have, but how much of the Lord has me? What, what does he have in me? Oh, here, here's a good one. Oh, Lord, come in and purify my mind, enable my thoughts, guide my lips, and direct my path. This is a prayer for a deeper reality between Christ and the believer. Listen to this. Until Christ is at home in your heart, he will always seem like a stranger to you even though he lives in you. We need to remember, this is key. Listen to this. We need to remember he is not just watching me. According to scripture, he's with me. Or literally, he's in me. He's not just watching me. He's in me. Here's the, here's the difference. If he's just watching you, he's just watching you navigate your way through this world. If he's in you, he stands the potential to guide you, to, to give you his perspective, to, to bring greater awareness into your life. He knows the motives. He knows what's really going on. And so he's not just watching us. He's with us. He's not just with me. He's in me. He's not just a visitor. He's at home in my heart. The problem with many of us is, let's be honest with you, we don't make them feel welcome at times. You, you ever been there? You know, you, you know you, there came a time in your life where you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. You know there was a time, it's, it's so real, there was, there was transformation that took place in your life. You turned from your sin, you turned to him. I, I mean, you had awareness of him living in and through you. By the way, the Bible says that when, when you do come to know him, the spirit of God comes to live within you. That's his presence alive and well in your heart. But then something happens years later. All of a sudden, we start getting off the path. And all of a sudden, there's a, there's a time in which I think God, I mean, the, the spirit of, of Jesus and the spirit of what's going on in your life it's not, it's not feeling welcome at times. You ever been there? Here it is. Here's a second hopeful result of Paul's prayer. A greater love experienced through faith. Look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Let me give you an illustration of this. Recently I read about a man who spent much of his life planting trees. The men seldom watered the young trees because he thought that too much watering, watering spoiled the tree. <laughs> so, so when they planted, get the picture, they planted these young trees. They didn't, they didn't meet every need just right when it needed to be met. They, they, they felt like there needed to be times where it had to deal with the stress of not being watered. Okay, And he's quoted as saying, pampered trees made for shallow roots. 
and that deep roots were something to be treasured for the tree. So, so if, 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 the, if here's what would happen. If he constantly watered the tree exactly when he thought it needed, when it was all necessary, all of a sudden the, the branches would just kind of take the easiest route. But without something for a while, you know what would happen? The tree would work harder to, 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 root, to deeply root itself. It would try to get down to the water table, basically. It would work harder. And guess what? When the storms would come, guess what would happen to the trees with shallow roots? They would tumble over easily. Whereas the ones that were deeply rooted, what would happen? They could withstand. You see, so many people, listen, adversity and struggle seem to have benefited the trees in ways that being sheltered and pampered could not. This should cause us to really evaluate, listen, how we pray for ourselves and how we pray for others. Even our children, Think of this. We seem to be inclined to pray that God will spare our family and friends from hardship. How many of you prayed that just this week? Oh, God, please don't let this touch my daughter's life. Please don't let this touch my son's life. Please, God, I'm, I'm asking you. Now, it's not like we're sitting there saying, get them, God. But sometimes, let's face it, we don't know what's best. Do, do you know I think I know what's best for my children? that through God's perspective, I may be clueless because he's got something else he's up to. We seem to be inclined to pray that God will spare our family and friends from hardship. We tend to pray that we would be comfortable and prosper or that they would. Instead of praying that their roots would go down deep into the love of God, experiencing a close relationship with him so they'll grow up sturdy and strong, knowing how to deal with adversity, not being swept away by anything that comes their way, that they will stand tall with a testimony of faith in him. But what, we, what do we want to do? Oh, God, please, don't, don't. How many of you have ever prayed, God, I, I don't know why you let this in to this person. I don't know why you let this thing into the life of this person I love so much. But I'm going to trust you. I personally don't want to see it there. Paul basically prayed three times. Maybe it's okay to pray three times. God, I don't want it there. But eventually, we got to get to the point where, okay, God, obviously, I don't know anything about this situation. I'm going to leave it up to you to do what's best here. And I know that it's painful. I see it on them. I know it's painful for me. I'm having a hard time watching it. I'm trusting you with this. Paul is praying that we who already know Christ's great love, that we might experience it at an ever-deepening level. See, that's the key. Here's another one. A greater love examined with the saints. Look at verse 18. That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. Now, the height, width, and depth of what? Of his love. That's that's the context of verse 18. Of his love, okay? Dr. W.A. Criswell, he's a uh, a famous preacher from First Baptist Church, I think Dallas. I think he was a pastor for 50 years. He talked about God's love in four dimensions as seen through John 3.16. I thought this was really cool. For God so loved the world, that's the breadth. He included, it means he included you, okay? That he gave his son, that's the length, he sent Jesus to die for you. Should not perish, that's the depth, he reached down for you. 
but have everlasting life. That's the height. He lifts you up to heaven or he lifts you up to where he is. And someone has also rightly said that Christ's love is broader than the universe, longer than time, higher than hope, and deeper than death. As we are strengthened by the Spirit on the inside, it is then that we come to a new understanding of God's love through us. And y'all, many times it comes by way of adversity. It does. Here's another one, a greater love exhibited through the cross. Look at verse 19. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. A word could be surpasses knowledge. (laughs) It's beyond what you can comprehend. What was the greatest act that Jesus did on our behalf? The cross. Okay? The word know there conveys the basic meaning of taking in knowledge in regarding to something or someone and speaks of knowledge that goes beyond something being factual into the realm of something being experienced. So really, here's the question. Have you ever experienced the love of God? You've heard about it, but have you ever experienced it? God exhibited his love to us by sending his son. The son exhibited his love to us by dying on the cross. How do you respond to this exhibited love? A a writer by the name of Stephen Cole writes this. Is your spiritual life often dry and routine? Are you often defeated by temptation and sin at the risk of being overly simplistic? I believe that all of these problems stem from a common source. You do not know experientially the love of Jesus Christ as deeply as you should. That's a pretty good word there. A young man has just fallen in love. He doesn't regard spending time with his new love as as difficult duty. You do know that, you know, when that first love kindles, you can't get enough of one another. You can't. You can't even walk anywhere without even touching the person. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's there. He doesn't think, the young man doesn't think, I really should spend time with her. Nah, it'd be all right. I'll skip it. You know why not? You know why that's not the case? Because he's motivated and captivated by her love. He rearranges everything else in his schedule to make time to be with her. How many of you ladies remember those good old days? <laughs> what happens over time? We begin to take each other for granted. You know it's possible to do the same thing with God and his love towards us, to do the same thing. Just take it for granted. Just say, well, it's always been there. I guess it still is. I hadn't been able to run him off yet. He's still here. Thank God for that. But, but where's the sweetness of it? Where's what it needs to be? You see, we got to make efforts to grow that love, to see it. But you know what happens so many times? We get into our lives, and all of a sudden, we, we've experienced God's love. We know about the love of the cross. We know about all these things. And all of a sudden, we get bogged down into life, and then we get embittered a little bit. You ever prayed this? God, why would you allow that to come into my life? God, why did you let that come into that person's life? How many of you have ever been completely honest and said, God, I don't even notice you're real. I can't believe you would do something like this. I can't believe you would allow something like this. I mean, all those things are out there. And, and, and we got to understand that there's a love there that we, that is, we can't comprehend it. But right now, living in this fallen world, 
sometimes we lose touch with it. But y'all, he wants, to, he wants there to be a greater love, a greater experience of his love. Next, the hopeful results of Paul's prayer, a greater feeling. Look at verse uh, 19, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. The idea of fullness implies total dominance or control so that God perfectly controls one's mind, emotions, and will. The phrase may be filled in the verse is actually in the passive voice which indicates that it is God who brings about the action. It is him who's doing the feeling. Now, if it's him who's doing the feeling, what is our role? Our role is not to take the substance and bring it in. Our role is to surrender and let it come in. That's the role. When it's in the passive voice, it, most of the time in Scripture, if you read anything that's indicated in the passive voice where there's something being acted on, you're being acted on to, the role that you have, you'll find out in Scripture over and over again, is just mere surrender. And it is God who does the feeling. Jonathan Edwards, you ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? He wrote one evening that as he meditated on scripture that he was overcome with a sense of the glory of the divine being, a new sense quite different from anything he'd ever experienced before. He was overcome with a sweet sense of the glorious majesty and marvelous grace of God. He described that. There was a time in his life where he had it. D.L. Moody was once praying. And, and, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with praying this. He prayed for more of God. That's kind of what this prayer is that Paul's praying, that we ask for more of God. And he prayed for more of God. As he was walking along the streets of New York City in the late 1850s, he said this, suddenly God came down in a way I've never forgotten. And I started to experience so much love poured out in my heart that I even had to ask him to stop. That would be pretty impressive to sense that, wouldn't it? Listen, there's probably a lot of you in this room who've never experienced something like that. But did you know that God wants you to experience something like that? I'm not talking about a second blessing. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm just talking about where you're just encapsulated with his love of what he wants to do in your life. Have you ever been there? The experience, here it is, the experience of the fullness of God's love will always bring about the dissatisfaction of our sin in our life. When we are, the more love we're, we're caught up in of God's love, the more love we're caught up in, the more dissatisfied we'll, we'll be with sin in our life. <clears throat> here's, here's another one. The answer, let, let me say this. Let, let me skip. I got to keep moving. Here's the, another one. The hopeful results of Paul's prayer are greater power. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now that verse is not saying that God is our genie who's operating in such a way that bring about everything that we're asking for. That's not what that verse is saying. What it's saying, if you look at the implication of what it's saying, it's saying that we don't even know how to ask for things. <laughs> we don't even know how to think of God in the right perspective most of the time. That he's doing a greater work than we can even comprehend. And, and before we can even ask, and before we even know how to ask or get to the point of asking what we need to be asking or what we think we should be asking, it's, it's beyond anything we could ever imagine. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to go our way in, the, in the helping us with our comforts. And our challenges. So here's what it is. Paul is reminding us that the answer to this prayer is not 
up to us in our power. It is up to God in his power. God's ability, he is saying in verse 20, is off the charts. It is so great that it can't even be imagined. This verse is teaching us the exceeding, abundantly, immeasurable, infinite ableness of God. That there are no limits, that there are no limits to what God can do. But you know what we do? We say, well, he's limited here, he's limited here, he's limited here because he's not doing what I ask. The problem isn't that he's not limited. The problem is what was just said there. He's not doing what I ask. That's the problem. Here's another one. The hopeful results of Paul's prayer are greater praise. Look at verse 21. To him be the glory in the church by Jesus, Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The last verse is nothing more than Paul getting caught up in the moment. He's getting caught up in the love of God. He's getting caught up, caught up in praising the Lord. But keep in mind where he is at and what he could be facing. He's in prison and could be facing death. And he's writing something like this. Is that not impressive? Recently, as I close, I came across this devotional. A missionary wrote a newsletter to thank his supporters for being prayer warriors. But because of a typing error, he called them prayer warriors. Warriors? Warriors. Okay, you get it? For some of us, that might be a better description of us. In his book, Growing Your Soul, Neil Wiseman writes, prayer must be more than a kind of restatement of fretting worries or mulling over problems. Our petitions must move beyond gloomy desperation, which deals mostly with calamity and despair. Wiseman then then writes, during an anxious anxious time in my life, I I became a prayer warrior. Warrior, sorry. I would beg, Lord, please keep my neighbor from causing me troubles tomorrow. Or, Father, don't let this horrible person at Walt spread gossip about me. But then the Lord taught me to pray for people rather than pray against people. Pretty interesting. I began to pray, Lord, bless and encourage my neighbor and help him to sense your love. Then I watched to see what God would do. The Lord's amazing answers not only helped others, but also helped cure my own anxiety. Paul was no prayer worrier. He prayed for God's people that they might know the strength, love, and fullness of God who is able to do far more than we can ever ask or think. Such confidence made Paul a true prayer warrior. And really the question is this, is that our prayers? So here's the application. Are we living in the reality of the prayer that Paul prayed for us? Are we living in that? I want to close with this thought. Many of us would describe, how many of you ever heard someone describe their life I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, theologically, is that correct? But if we live that as the context of our lives, here's what what we'll tend to do. Well, I sinned today. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You see the flaw? Paul was praying beyond the statement, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. He's beyond that. This mentality, the mentality just saved by grace, uh, it comes with a low expectation of living for Christ. This mentality and perspective provides an out or an excuse for fleshly and sinful living or, or, or being able to defend our anxious moments or defend all these other things. Whereas the mentality and perspective of this prayer that Paul is praying raises the expectation for living for Christ. That's what he's after that you more fully understand who you are in Christ.
Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just thank you so much for your blessings this morning. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for who you are and what you provided for us. And, and Lord, I think so many times we lose sight of that. Father, I pray for the person that may be here this morning doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray today will be the day that they say, you know something? I've heard about Jesus all my life. I've heard about him, and, but I've never taken that step to come on his terms, to realize what he's after, to realize what the fact that he loved me so much that he reached out to me. Father, help that person today to come to the knowledge and to the experience of knowing you and the love that you have for them. Father, I pray you draw them today. Father, for that Christian that may be here today and their life is all over the place right now, their mind, their heart, I mean, anxiety, all these things are there. And Father, they, 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 they're just trapped. They feel trapped in it. Lord, help them to realize there's a greater reality. There's a greater power. There's a greater love. It doesn't mean that we'll be taken out of the circumstance. It doesn't mean that the pain will cease to exist. It just means that there'll be grace there to hold us up. There will be meaning there to, and there'll be purpose that we know. Father, give us your insight into what we're dealing with. Lord, help us to get our minds and hearts and our focus off of the thing itself and realize that there may be something greater that you're up to. Give us your perspective in what we're dealing with. We thank you for what you're gonna do in Jesus' name. Just a moment, we're getting ready to sing a hymn of invitation. Myself and Gary will be here at the front. Just do what God's called you to do. Just lift your heart up to him. Say, God, inspect, evaluate, see what needs to happen, and let him have his way. How do, how do, we, come, how do we come to a greater fulfillment of what he's after? It all comes by way of submission. He's the one doing the acting upon. It's our submission. That's what you